there are significantly more asset classes that utilities or grid operators can tap into. We like to call it a virtual power plant. We believe that at some point in the future, everyone will be a generator, a consumer, and a store of electricity. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about the evolving role of demand response on the grid. Most people have never heard of demand response, yet it's probably happening at your home, your office, even large factories. Simply put, demand response is a tool grid operators have to adjust the amount of energy demand at any given time. Whereas most grids have the capacity to add more power, sometimes it just makes better sense to ask someone to turn something off. My guest says they've been involved in this activity since the days when they had to physically call a factory tree to ask them to cut power. Today, it's much more automated. In many cases, homes and businesses that participate in a demand response program have the power cut automatically over a web connection. As you heard my guest say, this creates a, quote, virtual power plant of sorts made up of thousands of DERs, or distributed energy resources. Have some solar panels or an EV charging station at your home? Those are DERs. Add storage to the mix, and my guest says they can even more finely tune the grid. It's all these resources taken together that make up a truly reliable response. My guest today is Kyle Harbaugh, Senior Vice President of IT and Product Development for CPower, a demand-side energy management solutions provider based in Baltimore. CPower got its start in the 2000s. They were purchased by Constellation Energy in 2010 and spun off a few years later. I was particularly interested in how much demand response has changed and how much it's being tapped by residential customers, for instance. Are there really people signing up to have their air conditioners shut off? To hear him tell it, you'd barely notice. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kyle Harbaugh. We're here with Kyle Harbaugh, Senior Vice President of IT and Product Development for CPower. And Kyle, I've never done a deep dive on demand response and similar energy management tools, but I've been hearing about it forever, probably as far back as when I was in Texas. We'd hear about how a utility could determine what was the best time to start your washing machine. I never really saw that in practice, though. So how much of this is really done? Yeah, utilities have been doing this for a long time. Back in the 90s, utilities were installing direct load control or DCU switches at customer houses. And these were radio controlled relays that shut off power to AC compressor units. In the 2000s, brought about a wave of dedicated thermostat programs. Utilities would install a very specific model thermostat that they could control. And it was typically over the same radio frequency network as the DCU. More recently, BYOT or bring your own thermostat programs have become very popular. So utilities no longer need to pay for dedicated installation teams and smart device companies like Nest, Ecobee, Residio can be self-installed by the customer. 
and enrolled in a utility program via web portal or smartphone app. And we're taking advantage of internet-based communication. So for the past two decades, you see a theme here in the residential space. Historically, the largest and easiest access consumer loads of energy has been air conditioning. But this is rapidly evolving. So with the popularity of home solar, storage, EV charging, electric heat, electric hot water heaters, and residential backup generators, there are significantly more asset classes that utilities or grid operators can tap into. Where does C-Power come in? Are you more on the residential side? Are you more on the commercial and industrial side? Because, you know, those are the big load centers, right? Right. So we create value for grid operators and utilities who need the customer's distributed energy resources and for the energy consumers. So our customers are mostly commercial and industrial customers, big box stores, commercial office, data centers, EV fleet owners, manufacturing, really anyone who has the capability to alter their net energy consumption. And the way we do this is we connect our customers' flexibility to the needs of the grid. So we have over 11 7,000 sites, and they contribute to four and a half gigawatts of flexibility to the grid. So to put that in context, that's about the equivalent of four nuclear power plants spread across the country. My next question, of course, was going to be who your customers, and you're saying that they are these individual companies, but is the mandate coming from the utilities to curtail power, balance the load? Where's the direction coming from in these cases? Yeah, across the country, there are what we look at as open market or the vertically integrated utilities. In the open markets, there are regional transmission organizations which are charged with the reliability of the grid. In the Northeast, we've got ISO New England. We've got one focused on New York, PJM in the Mid-Atlantic. We all know after what happened in February about ERCOT or the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, and that California has their own market out there. Then there's some in the middle of the country, more loosely aggregated under MISO. So all of these RTOs have programs that create value for customers participating in these demand-side energy management programs. If you're not in one of these open markets, your local vertically integrated utility like Duke Energy down in the Carolinas will have programs that consumers of energy can access directly through the utility. We work with both. We work in the open markets with the grid operators and we work directly with utilities. Our focus is bringing customers into these programs and unlocking the value of their energy assets. And just so we're all speaking the same language here, you're saying open markets. Are you meaning deregulated markets? Is there some daylight between those two terms? Yeah, I think it's essentially the same for our context here. Okay. It's interesting, right? These open markets, deregulated markets, as you want to call it. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for things like energy arbitrage. We've seen this a lot with some of these energy storage companies. Certainly, there's a lot more, I think, price transparency and opportunities to clear price signals (laughs) to maybe not consume as much energy. You're getting into a lot of what you're doing. Sure. And I think to start, I think you have to look at the evolution of the grid itself. So historically, grids have operated in a supply-driven manner. If you turn the light on in your house, a generator reacts by increasing output and the light turns on. So supply and demand have to stay in balance. However, if you turn a light on and someone else were to turn the light off, you've achieved that same equilibrium without increasing generation output. So that's where C-Power comes in. We partner with the grid operators, utilities, and the CNI energy users to facilitate participation in demand-side energy management programs. We started doing this about two decades ago, calling
telling customers to curtail their loads. And now it's all through automation. We have a product called CPower Link, and it's a set of machine-to-machine web services. And that taps into the flexibility of our customers and automating curtailments or the starting of backup generators. We connect to building management systems and industrial processes. And now we're tapping into solar, energy storage, EV charging, and fuel cells. All of these different energy-consuming or producing assets behind the meter can be monetized through programs that are created by the utility or grid operators. And how do they get compensated? Because normally you would get the power when you want it. And I know the big, especially industrial customers, if there's too much load on the grid, they will have to be curtailed. But in your case, it seems more like a voluntary curtailment in some situations. So do you get compensated for that? Do you get a better rate on your power? Yeah, absolutely. In many instances, the grid operators or utilities will treat the curtailment of energy or the shifting of energy use just like they would a generator. You are being paid for that stability or that value that you're adding to the grid. A grid operator can pay a generator a certain amount of money to generate a megawatt, and our customers can receive really the same amount of money for reducing a megawatt. And it all has that same net effect on the grid to keep it in balance. Our role is we work with customers to understand what their capabilities are, and we help them to get enrolled in these programs. We take a portion of the share from the grid to create this aggregation of assets. We like to call it a virtual power plant. And then we pass along a pretty large incentive to the customers for reducing their energy or starting a backup generator whenever the grid needs it. Yeah. And is it reflected on their electric bills? Is it a separate (laughs) check that's cut? How does that manifest itself? The traditional demand response programs, customers receive a check. They'll get a check from CPower for their participation in programs. But there's also on-bill savings that customers can access. The component of a customer's energy bill typically has a peak demand charge of some sort, whether it's seasonal or monthly for the whole system or just for the specific utility. We work with customers to help manage those peak demand charges as well. So in addition to seeing a check from us, they'll also see a lower energy bill. Who are you communicating with day to day? Are you constantly in contact with the grid operator? I one time had this explained to me how this works on these wholesale markets. Essentially, you have those operators, you have wholesalers. Who are you communicating with in order to relay that information back to your customers? So all the open wholesale market grid management ISOs or RTOs, we have electronic connections too. So if they need our customers to participate in a reliability or energy event, they contact us through any number of mechanisms. And then we process that message and we distribute it out to our customers. They see it in the form of phone calls, emails, text messages. And then through that link product that I mentioned, their energy assets can respond automatically. For example, in the commercial office space 20 years ago, a building operator would have to go around to light switches and to individual thermostats on floors and change set points and control lighting. Now it's all automated from the grid to sea power to that end customer, that commercial office building to their building management system. We're sending the signal directly in and their building management is automatically changing set points and they're raising them in the summer so it gets a little warmer. They're shutting down the decorative fountain in the lobby. They're running off power to half of the elevator banks, or they're shutting off half the power to the common area lighting. All of these things impact the electrical consumption at this office building. 
And if you can have it respond in an automated fashion, you can have firm, reliable participation, just like a generating unit to the electric grid. One of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast is energy storage, right? So how is energy storage coming into play into what CPower is doing? Yeah, energy storage is important because it's flexible. It responds almost instantly and it can consume and produce. This is being called the decade of energy storage. I think the forecast is for 358 gigawatts of installed energy storage by the end of 2030. That's a 20 times increase from what was installed by the end of 2020. And as the customers adopt more distributed energy technologies like storage and other similar components, and these resources are more automated and they're more flexible for the grid so they can come online and participate without business interruption. With these technologies, the better inputs, they're getting smarter every day, and it's leading to what we believe is going to be an omnidirectional grid. And the way we define that is similar to the internet. Everyone is a consumer, a generator, and a store of information. And we believe that at some point in the future, everyone will be a generator, a consumer, and a store of electricity. Many current demand response programs allow for energy storage to participate. So you can enroll not just your load curtailment, but the capability of your energy storage device in these programs and be paid for its response to the grid needs. It's a little bit unique because it can take energy off the grid or inject energy to the grid. The value of these assets are a little bit more than just your typical demand response or reduction of energy programs. Right. It's a lot more dynamic. And I was imagining there's the same way you were talking about <laughs> turning off the fountain in the lobby. You'd also be directing maybe customers with energy storage assets to charge or discharge, right? Is that part of what you're doing? That's absolutely correct. In the balancing equation, there are programs called ancillary services. And in these ancillary service programs, one of the fastest acting is frequency regulation. And we need to keep that grid at 60 hertz for optimal reliability and efficiency across the grid. To do that, we've got energy assets like these storage devices that respond to a two-second set point. So we need to send telemetry from the battery back to the grid operator every two seconds. And that battery has to follow a set point that is established every two seconds. And you can't do that by just curtailing your energy usage. You need something like an energy storage device that is flexible and dynamic to be able to compensate and operate in that fashion. And the value that you can create and achieve from having those devices participate is significantly greater than just a regular curtailment program. Sure. Kyle, I recently had a guest on to explain vehicle to building technology, which was an offshoot of vehicle to grid using EVs. The big takeaway there was that these big complex grid balancing tools are much easier to execute on a building by building basis. For instance, if the building had battery storage there, also just go on the building, you know, how load balance was it. That rather than maybe the grid at large, is that what you're finding? Is it easier sometimes maybe to handle some of the stuff behind the meter. Yeah, this question is near and dear to my heart. I'm an EV driver yeah. and my wife had the opportunity to launch an EV startup. So you can imagine our dinner conversations. But at Power, we don't view these concepts as mutually exclusive. If a customer has the capability to harmonize their DERs, including EVs behind the meter, that's great. We'll work with them to access as many value streams as possible. But not everyone has that sophistication or capability to do that. So we have actually created a technology 
technology, which we're marketing as our NROI's optimization engine. And what it does is it looks at every DER that a customer has. It is energy storage, electric vehicle charging, behind the meter backup generation. It could be a combined heat and power plant or fuel cells. And it creates a run plan for each one of these assets. So it says tomorrow, the most efficient way for you to run these assets to optimize their value and to create the most savings on your energy bill is to do this. We're taking a ton of market data. We're taking in weather. We're taking in the customer's historical and predicted future loads. We're putting it all together and we're creating this playbook. And the next day, customer runs the playbook. If something happens intraday, prices do something unexpected or customer's loads do something that we didn't expect. In real time, we'll send in the updated playbook and say, hey, this is what you need to do. To answer the question, if a customer can do it themselves behind the meter, that's great. If they can't, we've got the technology that can get them the most value and the most savings on their bill for all of the energy assets that they've installed. Let me ask you a little bit about where C Power is finding its strengths. So basically your customers, anyone with a meter, right? What kind of companies are becoming clients? Recently, there's been a lot of focus on data centers. As large consumers of energy, typically they have robust backup generation or energy storage devices so they can participate without interruption. The commercial office space has always been a big participant with HVAC loads. And really any manufacturing facility that can make the decision that participating in an energy reduction program is valuable to my operations, we can find a way to help them shift or reduce their loads for participation. We have a team of energy engineers that works with every single one of our customers to create what we call a curtailment plan. And the customer keeps this on file and says, if I need to participate in a fast acting program, this is what I do. If I need to participate in a capacity program, this is how I respond and participate. We're also starting to see EV fleet owners and operators really starting to take advantage of this program. We announced a partnership with Ampli, which is is a charging as a service provider. And Logan Bus Company, which is one of the largest school bus providers in New York, is taking advantage of the C-Power and Ampli partnership and getting grid value for the electrification of their bus fleet. So it's pretty exciting. Any other products you guys are working on? What are you guys chasing right now? Is Senior Vice President of Product Development. Yeah, I mentioned our NOI's optimization platform, which is focused on value for our end customers. But we are also launching a distributed energy resource management system product for utilities. In the utilities distribution network, there is a proliferation of DERs, customers with behind the meter generation, solar, storage, anything that can alter unexpectedly an end customer's usage of energy. And this product, this DERMS platform or DERMS platform that we're building allows the utility distribution operator to have greater visibility into these customer assets and allows them to use those assets to solve problems in their distribution network. So they can say, I may have to build another substation or I need to have this capital investment in my distribution network. And through the software that we're creating for utilities, they can run simulations to say, oh, if I use these customer assets, I can defer this capital expenditure or I can create more reliability on this specific feeder in my network. Very good. Kyle, I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies, starting with natural gas. 
like all of the fossil fuels, plays an important part in the energy grid today. We need a plan to remove our dependence on it, but you can't take it away right now. Nuclear. A fantastic baseload energy technology. And I think if they can solve the cost challenges, will be important to the grid of the future. Wind and solar. Along with the other renewable technologies is vital for our transition to a clean energy future. Like all the intermittent renewables has the problem of the wind doesn't always blow. Similar to solar, the sun doesn't always shine. So if we can firm up the renewables with technologies like demand response or distributed energy resources, it'll be a critical part of the grid of the future. Energy storage. Exciting. Having every customer have the capability to produce and consume to balance the needs of the grid is where we'll move to in the future. So it's going to play a big part. Electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are energy storage devices on wheels with a lot of latent capability to help the grid. And then finally, energy efficiency. This technology is critical. We need to bring down the overall use of all devices. And the way to do that is to use technology to run them more efficiently. All right, Kyle Harbaugh, C-Power, thank you so much for your time. Jay, really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Had a great time. And hopefully now you are an expert in demand response and distributed energy resources. Really appreciate it. That was Kyle Harbaugh, Senior Vice President of IT and Product Development for C-Power, a demand response company based in Baltimore. I want to thank Kyle for his time as well as Liz Crumpacker at Antenna Group for setting this up. This is our umpteenth collaboration for those counting at home. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as well as Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 131. Be sure to join us next week when we learn why many utilities are taking a harder look at taking transmission underground. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time. Thank you.